Father's name, we want to thank you again uh, for being just so gracious to us. We want to thank you, Lord God, for this day. <clears throat> we want to thank you for waking us up this morning, Lord God, uh, with an extra hour of sleep, Lord God, because we could be more groggy than we are already. Uh, nevertheless, Father, uh, we're grateful to be in your presence, in your house, uh, amongst uh, your children, Lord, whom you've called us to fellowship with this particular day. And Lord God, with all the issues that are raging in our minds and in our hearts, Lord God, we put them aside just for a moment uh, so that we can hear from you on high. So Lord God, would you have your way with us today? And we want to grab hold of every single morsel uh, that you will pour out to and into our hearts today, Lord God. Help us to be receptive. Help us to focus. Help us to concentrate, pay attention, and to receive your blessings through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, last night I was uh, heading to a performance last night and um, I, I, I made it to my venue and my venue was on the fifth floor so I'm heading to the fifth floor in a huge elevator. I get to the fifth floor, I get out and I was you know, on time, plenty of time and I get out the elevator, and I hear the music going, and, uh, and then there's the, the bride and her party. It was like in this, where I was in this partitioned place. It was like me, uh, the groom, and the bride, and their party all together in this space. And I'm like, well, what's going on, right? And I'm about to go and, and, and charge out, and I get ready to go out and walk out where the stage was, and I notice, wait a minute, there's no band there. There's nothing but a DJ. So I, so I backed up for a second, and I, and I thought about to me, in, in my brain, okay, uh, is this the right place? I, yeah, this is supposed to be the right place. So I go back and I step out and I open up the curtain and I'm looking around. And I'm looking carefully. There's a space in the back. I'm like, well, maybe we're supposed to be all the way in the back there where there's a big space back there. I said, but I don't see anyone back there. You know, so I, I left my head hanging out for a second. I'm like, no, this ain't right, right? So I back up, and the next thing I do is you know, I call my wife. I, I look on my phone, and I, for some strange reason, I, I, I didn't have the address because I thought I knew where I was going. So there was no address, and there was no location uh, with all my information, just all the, the, uh, the festivities of, of the evening. That was all listed, but not the address. Uh, go figure. Uh, unusual for that to happen. So I call my wife up, and I'm like, you know, something, is, something ain't right. I, I think I might be in the wrong place. And I'm supposed, to be, I'm supposed to start playing in like 10 minutes, you know. And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm having to hop in the car and go where I'm supposed to go. So can you check my, my, my calendar at home uh, so you can find out where I'm supposed to be? And then I remembered one of the rooms we're supposed to be in. And then I asked uh, one of the waiters, I said, is there a, I think it was called a sculpture garden or something like that. Is there a place called sculpture garden here? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, where is it? He's like, downstairs. I said, is there another wedding downstairs? And he's like, yeah, there's another wedding downstairs. You know, so I, you know, I grab my case and I head to the elevator, go downstairs, and sure enough, I was supposed to be on the first floor. You know, sometimes we can be both in the right place and the wrong place at the same time. Sometimes we live in this mixture of, of, of things that this is right, but it's not right. This is true, but it's not true. I feel good, but I don't feel good. Uh, you know, we, we live in this place. 
Today, as we continue down this path of the curse in the cubicle, we're going to talk a little bit about a leader and a worker again. Surprise, right? I want to start off by asking the question, what is a leader? And I'm not talking about L-I-T-T-E-R. And I'm not talking about what is a litter. I'm asking the question, what is a leader? I mean, how would we define a leader at your place of employment, in your school, or how do you know who the leader is in a political environment, a governmental environment, whether we're talking about a local or a national office? In corporate America, the hero or the leader seems to be those who are able to lead their company from a downward spiral into bankruptcy. They're able to take that company out of that. Or in many places, we oftentimes deem a leader as the individual who's able to make the company the most amount of money. You see, if you're able to make the most amount of money, then you're the leader. Or that leader who's able to inspire new products, you know, new creative inventions that's coming out of the research pipeline. You know, the, the person that's able to inspire more than that, then that person is a leader as well. And these are some of the reasons, quite frankly, as we know, why these leaders are either hired or fired. They are hired or fired for those reasons. For their ability to do what? To produce results. Right? We already know in our current environment that they say that results are more important than character. The current environment says that results are more important than character. We don't care who you are. We don't care how much you lie, how much you manipulate, or who you had to knock down to get where you are. We only care if you're able to produce results. So we know that as individuals now, that we must work in these environments. And to work in these environments is, as we heard many messages ago, that this is part of the dominion that God has given us as, his, as people who were created in his image. We must work as part of having this dominion. But Jesus comes along and he was a mold breaker. And he enters society and laid down a new set of ground rules. Jesus not only wants to know uh, what kind of leader you are, but Jesus also wants to know what kind of worker you are. We may know what a hard worker is, a good worker is, someone who works hard, someone who's on time, someone who's dependable, and someone who works smart. We need people like that on our jobs, amen? 
No one wants someone on their job that doesn't know what they're doing. No one wants anyone on their job who shows up to work late an hour all the time and then punches out early all the time. No one wants anyone like that. But Jesus enters the life of the disciples and asks them, will your culture be your standards of how you work and how you behave at work? Will the environment that you exist in, will that be your standard or is there another standard that's higher or maybe lower than that? So Jesus, He wants us to remain in this environment as His representatives and we already are familiar with that in order to uh, witness to others about the goodness of God where we are. God, He wants us to remain where we are. He doesn't want us to go backwards to that place before we came to Christ. Let me ask you this question. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, talking about this moment, are you more mature now than you were last year? Or have you gone backwards? See, Jesus, He doesn't want us to remain where we were when we were saved. So Jesus, He wants to challenge our view on how we work. He wants to challenge our view even on discipleship. Please turn with me to John chapter 13. John 13, the Gospel of John chapter 13. The setting. Verse 1. Well, actually, let's, let's start in. We're going to go ahead and skip down. Let's start all the way in. I think this is going to be verse... Uh, okay, verse 1. Verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. I'm going to stop right there for one moment. We see here with Jesus and with God that love is a motivating factor. You notice that. Uh, he, he says there, uh, in verse 1, he says, uh, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, again, why would the writer mention love twice within the same, uh, within a couple of words from each other? For emphasis. Jesus loved all people, and especially those that had come to him. And as we see that, there's emphasis in love. While it is true that God loves the entire world, we know that for God so loved what? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believe in Him shall not perish, shall not die, but have everlasting life. So we know that God loves the world, but He also really loves those who have come to Him through Jesus Christ. In fact, it is the Apostle John 
that he presents this idea of agape. That is the Greek word. That is the noun. Or uh, this idea of agapio. Verb in which God loves unconditionally those who, uh, who is in his focus, is in his view. So if God loves people, we should also know that love should be central to who we are as believers. You get that? So if God loves people, we should also what? Uh, just like uh, one pastor said one time, you know what, I love church, but the only thing I don't like about church are the people. I didn't say that, by the way. So the idea of God's love here, that it sets up this teaching that Jesus is about to bring concerning the extent in which we operate in that love. So isn't it interesting? We read that again, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, verse 2, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So after the Scripture talks about God's love for people, the next thing to happen was what? The devil shows up. After God talks about his love, the next thing that shows up is what? The devil. Isn't that what happens sometimes? Sometimes you may go to church and you know, we have our love feasts in the church. Oh, Pastor Scott, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to see you, Sister Charlotte. Oh, man, I love you guys so much. And sometimes, and this does not happen to me, uh, this does not happen to me, so sometimes you can leave church, I hear stories about this, right? And you go out into the car, and the next thing you know, you're arguing with someone. It doesn't happen. I, if it would, I just would, wouldn't even say it. But it doesn't happen. It, it, it does not happen. It simply doesn't happen. But for some, it does happen. After the love fest that we have, the next thing that happens is the devil shows up. Because he wants to conflate and he wants to confuse your good time uh, with being with God with conflict and confrontation. That what he wants you to put together is that, you know, every time I go to church, I end up fighting. Therefore, what? I ain't going to church. I ain't going to church because of this. And I ain't going because he wants you to get confused about God's love. But I want you to know this, that God loves you. And don't let the devil steal your joy. Amen? So Scripture makes it clear that uh, this idea that Judas Iscariot, that he had, that it came from the devil. Right? In one sense, you know, Judas was minding his own business. Then the devil, he comes in and says, hey, Judas, have you considered betraying Jesus Christ? You know you can make some, some, some good money off of that. You may be asking yourself, well, wasn't that just simply, you know, 
why, why, why do you preachers, why do you Christians always got to put the devil in the midst of things? That's because that sometimes the devil, he is the cause of some of the conflict that happens in our life. That he is the reason why we get some of the ideas in our head. What are you saying? Well, that's neither here nor there. Or for us who believe in Scripture, who believe that Scripture, the Bible, is God's Word, what does Genesis 3 say? Well, if you don't know what Genesis 3 says, it simply says this. Eve was walking around in the garden having a good time in good relationship with the Lord. Next thing you know, here comes the devil in the form of a certain doing what to her? Talking to her. Doing what? Putting what in her mind? Ideas in her mind to do what? To disobey God. Ah, you get that? So the devil came here in Genesis 3, gave the suggestion to Eve, uh, just because the devil tells you to do something, that does not mean you should do it. The devil does not have you, uh, does not give you the power, uh, does not have power over you to make you do anything. You can't say the devil made you do anything. The devil ain't made you do nothing. You are just operating under the influence of the demonic realm. That's it. So I don't believe in all them demons. Well, here we go again. We have the demonic realm having influence over Judas Iscariot. So it makes it clear that the idea that Judas Iscariot had, that it came from the devil. Right? And we have an opportunity to reject the devil or to do what? Or to accept his ideas. What was the last thing the devil put in your brain? Come on. What was the last, when was the last time the devil put something in your brain and instead of you saying, uh, flee away from me and draw near to God because you know when you draw near to God that the devil will flee and instead of drawing near to God when the devil speaks to you, you say, huh? You say, what you say again, Mr. Devil? God gives us the ability to flee from the adversary. When was the last time you did or said something you knew that you had no business doing, but the devil began to speak to you, then you said, you know what? Yeah, well, this is going to be good for me. I'm going to feel good after this. God, he calls us to flee and to step away. So in our passage, we see here, beginning in verse 4 now, Jesus begins to prepare himself. Verse 4. Let's start at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. See, again, Jesus knew what his identity was. He didn't have to have a Pharisee, a scribe, or a Sadducee, or Herodian tell him who he was. He knew who he was in God, because he was God. Do you know who you are in the Lord? Do you know that you are victorious in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you are loved of God? Right? Uh, you don't need for anyone to tell you that because God has already deemed you to be that. 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, verse 4, rose from supper. And I'm going to add the word and, not because I'm adding to Scripture, because here the translator decide not to translate the word chi, right? Uh, so rose from supper and uh, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Beginning in verse 4, we see Jesus taking water and a towel to begin to wash the feet of the disciples. Pay close attention to that. Some of you, you already got it, or you may already know this, uh, that uh, this is the master, uh, the teacher, the rabboni, right? Uh, the ministers uh, begin to serve or to minister to the, disciple, the disciples, the, the learners, or the students. And begin to respond and to relate to them as if he was a servant and not the master. This is an area we sometimes fail to connect with in leadership. And that is, how do we serve those we lead? How do we serve those we lead? It's, it, you, you, leadership is not simply about how many people can I get to follow me? Because uh, the more people I get to follow me, the better leader I am. That is a false definition of good leadership. In fact, good leadership, a better definition would be how many people can you serve? We already mentioned today that our impact as a church, that the people that have come to Christ over the years of our church uh, being in existence is significant. What have we done that as a church we have served people through the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not about me. In fact, it's not about you. It's all about Jesus and about his love that he has for people. So understand that in Jesus' day that a foot washing was necessary. Why? Because everybody wore sandals. Imagine if you were to come to church today in your sandals and then go to work in your sandals. You know, sometimes I think about, especially when you have been down in a train station, right, and you're walking up those stairs and sometimes there's a little puddle of this and a little puddle of that. Imagine not having socks on, you just have sandals. Imagine what your feet will look like at the end of the day. So here, uh, Jesus is with all of his disciples, having walked through all the muck and the mire, and not only are their sandals dirty, but their feet are dirty. In fact, some of our feet are dirty. We take our socks off, and we have, uh, 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 what shall we call them, uh, socks leavings between our toes. So some of our feet, well, some of you all's feet, are dirty even with socks on when you take them off. So here Jesus, he decides to get his hands dirty. So it was therefore, it was customary for the time, a couple of things could have happened. Number one, that the host of the home, that he could have had a basin of water there 
and had some tiles on the side. Say, okay, when you come into the house, uh, you wash your feet there and you dry them off and you're good to go. It's one way they could have dealt with it. The other way uh, could have been was that, okay, I have a whole slew of servants, so, okay, servants, I want you to go and, and I want you to go and wash their feet. But never at any time did we see the master of the home uh, to go and wash the feet of all of his guests. You know, humility was important to the Jews of this day. Unlike the Romans and the Greeks, they could care less about being humble. But for the Jews, being humble was important. However, just like the Romans and the Greeks, Jews, they were also concerned about titles, and they were also concerned about place. Therefore, if you had a good title, like if you were the chief priest or a priest second in command or whatever you may be, uh, right? Uh, you wouldn't go around washing folks' feet, else you would look bad. So here's Jesus, right? Uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, all things were created by him. Without him, there was nothing made that was made. In other words, Jesus was the creator of all things, and yet here he is, the creator of all things, willing to wash the feet of his creation. Ah, Jesus created mankind, right? But Jesus goes and washed the feet of mankind. Such a complex thing going on. So here in verse 4, Jesus, he lays aside his outer garment. It also gives us some insight into how we should view our work. When we work, we are to serve those and lay aside our own personal agendas and preferences in order to help. This is true whether we speak of an individual or the company where we currently serve or where we currently work. Let's face it. We work in order to serve people. And when we don't serve people, we run the risk of not being content in that in which we do. Why? Because if folks, especially if you're a leader, if they don't do what I want them to do, then there's going to be problems in the house. Again, we heard this last time as Scripture pointed us to uh, uh, to being direct, directed by a boss. Uh, someone tells us what to do, or that teacher tells us what to do, or that supervisor tells us what to do to accomplish a certain task or to get a project completed. And most of the time, uh, they don't want our opinion. Sometimes they do, and when they do, we say amen, right? Or sometimes we live in an environment where uh, your opinion is really important, and that's different. If they value your opinion to that area, go ahead, to, to that degree, then go ahead and give your opinion because you are in that type of atmosphere. But other times when you are instructed to do something, you're supposed to do what? Do it, right? Let's say that, uh, let's pick something. Uh, let's say you work for a uh, grocery store, right? I don't think anybody here that I know of works for the grocery store. And you have been assigned to... Uh, take uh, a whole pallet of garbanzo beans, kidney beans, pinto beans, and any kind of beans that you can think of and shelve them and whatever they call them, right? All right? So you have been instructed to do that. 
right? And you decide that, you know what, I'm not going to do that because I think I need to put some juice on the counter because I think that's what people are going to go for. Well, see, you're not doing what you have been instructed to do, right? Then you become insubordinate in your, in your particular job. So then a rush of people come in and now they want beans and all types of beans because all of a sudden everybody's making chili today. And now there are no more beans because uh, you were not thinking to follow instructions because maybe, just maybe, your boss, your supervisor, your teacher knew something that you don't know. <laughs> Therefore, it is important that we lay aside our agendas and do what we have been asked to do. So our Lord Jesus Christ, He humbles Himself. Verse 6. He, that is Jesus, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, this is Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will not understand. In other words, there's some things that I know now that you don't know, but later you will know exactly what I know if you just simply do what I ask you to do. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter uh, said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Uh, Jesus said to him, Hold on, wait a minute, right? Uh, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Should the king do the job of his servant? Jesus, the master of the group, begins to watch to feed the disciples, but some would object like Peter. It's very interesting. You know, sometimes I, I wish you all could see some of this in the original language. Uh, I, I need for you to, to hear this, that in the original language, that when, when Jesus basically was, was about to wash your feet, and, and Peter's respond to him, our, our passage says what? Uh, our passage says that, uh, no, never, no, never, you shall never wash my feet or do anything like that. But uh, Peter says this in the original language. He says this. He says, Lord, you my feet, that's the order in which he says. He says, Lord, you, my feet, uh-uh. That's what he says. In other words, he said, never in a million years shall you ever stoop so low as to wash my feet. It would be like, let's say, the Queen of England shows up at your house with her entourage. Right? She shows up at your house and she says, Brother Dan, I know you don't know me, but I'm here to serve you. And one of the ways I'm going to serve you today is uh, I need for you to take your shoes off. And I'm going to wash your feet. And you probably say probably much like me. Well, go ahead then, Queenie. Right? No, you, you, you probably said, no, you, you ain't got to wash my feet. Just, you know, the fact that you came to my house to say, to say hi, I appreciate that, right? You know, I got you. I appreciate you, Queen of England, right? Uh, right? 
she wants to wash your feet. We probably said, no, that's not necessary. We would feel that same way, have that type of reaction. This is, of course, how we think at work as well. What would happen if your boss came to you and said, let me wash your feet? Some of you probably say, ugh, I don't want you to wash my feet. I don't even want you to touch me. As a matter of fact, I don't even want you to look at my feet, right? So Jesus, he breaks the mold concerning proper protocol in leadership and in the work environment. What would you do? You see, it's not just about washing feet, is it? It's not just about somebody, they, they just got to wash your feet. You know, it, it, it's really a shame. Over the years, there used to be times in, 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 in church life, uh, especially on Good Friday, where uh, people would wash each other's feet. And then they came out with the idea, well, men should not wash the ladies' feet, so men would just wash men's feet. And then some men said, no, that ain't happening because I don't want that man washing my feet. Right? I'm just going to keep my shoes on. I'm going to abstain from uh, the, the, the foot-washing ministry on Good Friday altogether. And then we begin to put up barrier after barrier after barrier. But see, the problem is this. this. This is the core of the problem. The core of the problem is it is not about washing feet. So if you say, I just got to wash your feet, well, just no, you ain't got to wash anybody's feet. The principle says, how do you humble yourself before that person? How do you humble yourself before that person? And it's not just about uh, doing something in which uh, people will see you. It's all about what God sees in your heart. What does God see in your heart? That's what it's about. We see here in verses 7 and 8 that we don't always understand what God is doing when he's doing it. And Jesus answered him, what am I doing? You may not understand now, but after you will understand. So this level of understanding it is required a deep relationship with the Lord to later understand the work that God does in our life. So here we find out that there is lessons of humbleness at work. Let's rush down to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Remember, before he had asked the question, he says, later you're going to understand. And then he washes their feet, and after he washes their feet, he says, do you now understand? So believers, we should never become egotistical, uh, e egotistical in our service. This is one of the key moments in the church, and important even at work. Recall again how uh, how God has called and empowered the human, human race to have dominion on the earth. And part of that dominion is working. It is a spiritual activity which the Lord purposely bestowed upon us as his representatives. Therefore, if we are his representatives, then why would we even suggest that we are better than anyone else? Verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am, your teacher and your Lord, in other words. Verse 14, if 
I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus again encourages his disciples to follow his example. And too often we try to follow the example of the world and fall flat on our face over and over again. St. Augustine says this, and I quote, For when the body is bent at a brother's or sister's feet, the feeling of such humility is either awakened in the heart itself or is strengthened if already present. What is that point in life that brings you to humility? You know, one of the things that does it for me, I have to admit, not only humility, but also uh, the Lord has me working on patience, patience that sometimes that when I'm in a grocery store, do you realize sometimes when I'm in a grocery store, I will purposely go get in the longest line? I will look for the longest line, and I will get in the, the longest line. Why? You know how it is. You know, we got all our stuff packed in the cart. We're trying to go to the grocery store, trying to get out of the grocery store. We're looking for the shortest line, trying to see if they look this way. If they look this way, then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to uh, get the cart in there, right? Or they haven't quite, they don't know how, how they are actually in the line. It looks like the line is going this way. They turn this way. So I'm just going to go ahead, right? And I'm going to get in this line. I said, what you doing? Line over here. Lines go straight, right? So why are you all curled around that way, right? So I will purposely get in the line. I'll help someone as well. Something that causes you to just to go out of the way to help someone else because they are not expecting it and it just might be something significant as well. It's all about our heart. So servants are not greater than their masters and neither are we greater than Jesus Christ. So Jesus told Peter that if he didn't wash his feet, that Peter would have no part in him. And this is that connection now. This is the reason why Jesus said that, look, Peter, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me, because he's trying to teach him a lesson that, look, if I wash your feet, you need to wash the feet of other folks as well. You need to, to submit and be humble to other folks at the same time, Peter. So therefore, if you're not willing to follow my example, you can't have any part of me because you don't want to follow me. You don't want to follow me. If I wash feet, you should wash feet. Isn't it interesting that in the scripture it never says that Jesus was concerned about foot fungus. He was not concerned about how people's toenails was, were, were formed. Any of those things that Jesus, he was not concerned with. He just went and did the work of a humble servant. Are you willing to do that? Is that who you are? Therefore, if, if we can't have the humility of Christ, then are we really worthy of being called his disciples? Read what Jesus says about representing him in verse 20. Same chapter, John 13. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. 
You get that connection there. Again, Jesus is putting this together for us. He's saying that you must be humble because I'm humble. And then when you show, show up as a humble servant, they're going to know that you came from me. So we must all be humble. Verse 17. The person who knows and responds to Jesus' promptings about humility will be blessed. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? Do them. So do you again see the thread that goes through the teachings of Jesus? It is not enough to hear, but we must move forward into obedience. You've heard the word of God, and now it's time for you to respond. Ignoring his word is not an option. You can't just walk out of here like you didn't hear anything. God will hold you account to it. So Jesus says that we are blessed when we follow his example of humility. But he also says everyone is not blessed when they follow his example. Why? As with Judas. Even though Judas was there. Isn't that fascinating that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, but yet he did what? Wash his feet. Have you ever been in that place on your job? that you just couldn't stand somebody? You, you know what I mean. I mean, you just, you just don't like, and you don't want to do anything. You don't want to see them. You don't want to do anything for them. But Jesus calls us to be humble. And sometimes, sometimes we have to humble ourselves, even before folks on our jobs and at school we just don't like. So Jesus, he says that we must be humble at work, humble at school. Do you possess that humility? The only results that Jesus is concerned with here is being humble. He's not concerned with how many people you lead to Christ. He's not concerned with, you know, how many widgets that you make on your job. He's concerned with how well we display humility. Are you humble? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name.